Last week we were talking in the 19th chapter of Matthew how God has freed us from any notion of a works-based salvation. You are not going to be able to work your way to heaven, and we're grateful for that because salvation is, is a gift. It's a gift that God has given to us through faith in Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly, a sinless life, but yet took upon himself a sinner's death on the cross of Calvary in order that our sins might be paid for and that he might give us his righteousness. You know what Jesus was doing on the cross was he was paying the demands of holy justice and he was paying it for us. He was dying in our stead. And he, of course, he was dying in order that he might be raised again. And on the third day, he was gloriously resurrected and now shares with us the newness of life that is ours in him. So we come to him as uh, children longing for a gift. We were talking last week about that, that Christ says the kingdom of God is received by people who receive it as children. In other words, children have no position by which they can bargain with God about letting them in. They have no authority they have no resources by which they might use to negotiate. They just come to him in trust. And Jesus always longed for children to come to him. And he says, as children are around him, you who are entering my kingdom must come as children. In other words, it's not going to be on your effort. It'll be on your trust. And so we're grateful for that. That's good news that we can come with our hands open. We have nothing to offer him but our sin that we have been living in. And he gives to us a gift of mercy and grace and a relationship with the true God. So the truth of God is love and mercy and the saving grace that is extended to us. And that causes us to really sing great songs of praise. In fact, this morning, we were singing songs of praise about who God is. And we were just singing, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's, it's your goodness. It's... It's the life that we have experienced in you. And, of course, you are perfect in all of your ways. Prior to that, we were singing that grace was enough, that we weren't adding to grace works. We weren't striving to obey this or do that or accomplish this. We're just trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. We ought to receive that. Let's get this started early. We're trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, I need your feedback today, uh, just recognizing that God is good to us and we ought to be heralding that, not only in song, but in the affirmation of that as we come to the truth and the understanding of that. We were singing uh, just beautifully that, that who we are and who God is. Look what this verse said. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love. For me, who the sun sets free, oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. <laughs> I was singing that this morning in all three services and really just proclaiming that truth because when you buy into that truth, when you, your life is given to its deposit in you, in you, man, you can never walk in freedom. Uh, for gone are the days where the enemy tried to convince me that yeah, God doesn't really like you all that much. God really doesn't want to hear your prayers and your worship right now. He knows what you've been thinking, what you've been saying, what you've been doing. Gone are those days when you recognize grace is enough. That God has established my relationship with Him by grace. Now, that doesn't mean that I just go on and live my life in any reckless way that I want to. 
oh, the new life is mine in Christ. The new nature of Christ is mine. It's my, my exercise out of that where I walk beautifully in sync with Christ. I wish I was perfect in that. One day I will be when I'm in heaven, in the new heaven, new earth, and you will be as well, you who have faith in him. As I'm singing that song, I'm just declaring it and all those this morning unto the Lord. But you know what I'm also doing? I'm looking around. And it causes me when I'm looking around that grace is enough for that person and that person. And oh God, that person is your child. I'm looking around and I'm blessing God for how he has come graciously to your lives as well. In fact, that's partly what our, our time and song ought to be on Sundays. Sure, it's a proclamation to God. But listen, I can do that in my shower, and I do regularly. And I can do that driving down the road in my car, and I do that regularly as well. Even going down the hallway, you'll catch me whistling constantly just because there's a song that God has put into my heart. But there's something about us coming together collectively and hearing each other sing and catching eyes with each other as we're singing those truths. It's almost as if we're beckoning one another to really discover the depths of those truths. Or we're blessing God because those truths are genuine in the lives of the people around us. And even those that I don't know, my heart just beckons out, Oh Lord, let that person know your grace like I know your grace. This is what life in church is meant to be. A constant building up of one another and encouraging one another. I'm just going to tell you, it's pretty easy for me to do that in this room. I mean, your friends, your, your family, uh, your, your ministry partners together, it's pretty easy for me to bless God for the grace that he has extended into your lives. But I wonder if you're like me, are there people that you sort of wonder if God's grace is enough for them? You say, well, Randy, no, I don't wonder that at all. Oh, really, is there anybody in your life that has brought real misery, pain, and suffering into your life that you have discounted God's grace toward? Or anybody right now that's bringing cause of pain and suffering in your life? Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a classmate, uh, maybe it's someone around you that just constantly is inflicting pain. Do you discount God's grace in that person's life? Well, what about people that are just outright evil in the things that they do? Uh, when I was growing up in, into my adulthood life, I recognized that there were some really evil people in the world. One of them's name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Do you remember him? Even if you're in this current generation, you probably know that name. Because he was convicted for not just serial murder, but doing the most horrendous evil things to his victims that anybody could imagine. But in 1994, God extended his grace to Dahmer to the point that Dahmer actually received Jesus Christ and surrendered his life to him. And he was baptized in 1994. And his pastor began to meet with him on a weekly basis, a local pastor where he was incarcerated, meeting with him on a weekly basis to disciple him. The pastor was somewhat taken aback by the people that would ask him about Dahmer's sincerity of his conversion, wondering if this is genuine. And what the pastor came to conclusion was this, that they weren't just necessarily asking, was he genuine? Did this really happen? What they were questioning is, is God's grace extended to people that evil, who are that broken in their sin. 
He came to some conclusions like this. He said they seem to be looking for a way to reject Jeffrey as a brother in Christ instead of seeing him as a sinner who has come to God. The subtext of such questions, such as the validity of his salvation, was simple. They didn't want to think of Jeff as a brother. Such ungraciousness is contrary to the Christian spirit. He goes on to say in this, this next statement, uh, was Jeffrey Dahmer saved? Were his sins taken away? He's, is he a Christian believer? Did he repent of his sins? Or was the blood of Christ shed on the cross somehow too weak, too thin, too anemic to cover his sins? Did Jeff mean it when he said, I'm sorry for what I've done. God help me. I'll never do that again. Why was it an inconceivable, why was it inconceivable that Jeffrey Dahmer would come to faith? We want to give God's grace its due. But maybe there's sometimes we pull back from the full essence of God's grace. And that's a risky thing for us to do because it puts us in a posture that is foreign to God. Now, the text that we're going to read today is in Matthew 20. And I really believe that it's going to highlight the fact that God is abundantly gracious in a multitude of people, in all people in ways that you and I might even scratch our head wondering, is he that gracious? Well, let's look at the text together. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Let me just pause and just remind us. Obviously, the parable is a great story. It's going to have great truths to it. But we're understanding God is giving to us insight to his kingdom. So the parable is really meant to demonstrate how the kingdom of God is and how it works. So it's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyards. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius of a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, go, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a Daenerys. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in its scorching heat. We replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity to the last? So the last will be first and the first last. I can visualize this parable even in a modern way. Kay and I were visiting our oldest son and daughter-in-law in Birmingham and we were going over to a local home improvement store and I saw some men standing out in front of it, uh, really on the front side of the parking lot. And I asked him, I said, is the bus stop here? What are these guys doing here? And he said, oh, no, those are laborers who are looking for jobs for the day. 
So the idea is, like you and me, we might get up early on a Saturday morning, have a list of things to accomplish. We head out to Lowe's. They open at 6 a.m., and we're there when they open. And we not only buy the things for the day that we're going to do around the house, but we also bring some guys with us who are day laborers and ask them, are you willing to come home with me and work? And they say, yes, we'll do it for this amount of money. And you come to agreement with them on the amount of money for the day. Now, in the Hebrew way, a day's work for them was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours in a day. And so they agreed to do it for a denarius, a day's wage. Well, let's say that we did that and we began to work around the house and about 9 o'clock we head over and uh, want to pick up something else from a store and we see some guys standing around. We ask them, hey, what's, what's up? Why are you idle? And they say, well, we're waiting for somebody to hire us. Well, come on in. I'll put you to work. At noon, we head out. We do the same thing. Maybe we're going out to get some lunch, but we find some guys who are willing to work. We bring them in and do the same. I'll give you what's fair, is what we say. We go out at 3 o'clock, and we go out at 5 o'clock, and all the time doing the same thing. When the day is over at 6 p.m., we call to the foreman and say to them, pay everybody what they're due, and everybody gets a Daenerys. Now, the guys who are there since 6 a.m. are watching the guys from 5 p.m., 3 p.m., noon, 9 a.m., and they're thinking, man, if he gives each of them a full day's salary, imagine what he's going to give us. But when they get there, they find that they're getting exactly what they bargained for. I can vision that. I can see how that works, and I can see how we might even think, well, that's not fair. In fact, some of you are thinking right now, well, that doesn't sound very fair at all. Well, let's get this out here. When it comes to grace, grace is always greater than fair. In fact, look at this. God's grace is not fair, and we should be thankful for that. Because what is fair is justice. And what is justice but paying for every infraction of sin against God? Every time you and I have sinned against God or His law, there ought to be a payment due. Oh, we really don't want to bargain for what's fair, do we? So, wow, we just come to this understanding, God, grace isn't fair, and I'm very good with that. I think that that's a great place to be. Well, we're understanding that not only is grace not fair, and we're good with that, but we're understanding that this grace is pictured in the story. So in the parable, which is about the kingdom of God, the vineyard owner is God. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. The laborers, of course, are you and me, believers in Christ, and the laborer is what we're called to do in God's kingdom. So with that in mind, let's kind of flesh this thing out. I'm going to mention some things along the way. They're more summary points than they are just points that I'm trying to uh, direct our attention to. They're just summary statements, and, of course, this idea of grace is one of them. Grace extends well past fairness. In fact, there's really nothing that's fair about our salvation. It's all grace. That's why we dismantle this idea by the words of Jesus. We're dismantling the idea that you're going to be able to accomplish and work towards something in salvation. The Lord just takes that away. He says, it's got nothing to do with you working. It's got nothing to do with me being fair to those who accomplish. It's got everything with me being gracious to all people. At any given hour, God is gracious. The parable gives us insight to the unequal, unparalleled equality of God's distribution of grace. And what I mean by that is God is not holding it back. He's just giving it out in great measure in the proportions that brings him glory and honor to everybody. Do you know who David Berkowitz is? 
He's the son of Sam. He was a great, uh, horrific serial killer as well. Did you know that God extended grace to the son of Sam in the same measure that he extended it to this preacher's three sons? And he does the same thing for your sons and daughter. God doesn't hold back grace to people. He freely gives it to people. But sometimes we might have a little hard time with that. The guys in the parable certainly had a hard time. They wondered how it is that they don't receive everything that everybody else is receiving that's worked in the fields as well. The religious elite in Jesus' day struggled with that. Maybe you might be struggling with that. In the day of Christ, it was this. Why do you think he eats with sinners? Why do you think he's dining with prostitutes? Why is he hanging out with extortionists? The religious elite were constantly badgering Jesus about that. Because they didn't understand grace. They were thinking in terms of fair. Well, fair would be that person has to pay for their sin. Fair would be they are removed from God and forever removed from God. But grace, grace is given with great liberality from Christ to all people. Those who come to Jesus Christ in faith, regardless of their social standing, their history, their income, their wealth, their heritage, no matter when they come to life in Christ, all of them are accepting of God's gift of grace and they're all put on an equal footing. Nobody has a platform higher than anybody else. We're all in need of God's great grace. The reality is we're all desperate for it. John MacArthur says it this way, the differences among human beings are infinitely smaller than the differences between even the most religious human being and God. So if you're discounting God's grace given to somebody else, you're trying to make comparisons in that way, the small comparisons among us, even though it's vile of sinner, is nothing to compare to the vastness of the difference between God and His perfect holiness and us and our complete sinfulness. He goes on to say, before receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, all people are equally lost, and after they receive Him, they are equally saved. It's a glorious way of God. So such grace is given with generosity and without bias, and that ought to cause each of us to really shout with joy and live our life in expression of joy at all times. There's not a single person in this room, not a single person listening to the radio broadcast, not anybody listening to the podcast online or the live feed on Facebook or mbchurch.com. There's not a single person that God holds back in any biased way against grace given to them. He gives it freely. And so you know what I'm going to claim? Just receive God's grace. Receive God's generous grace and be glad for yourself and glad for other people. Just be happy in that. God deals with us on the basis of His love and His grace, not on what we believe that is just or fair. It's all about grace. So when you and I question saving grace to other people, we really repudiate grace in the lives of other people. And when we say, I ought to be able to earn this, or I have a worthiness greater than somebody else, we really refute grace in our own life, and we discount it and walk away from it. And both of those, whether you're holding back in the measure of God's grace to somebody else or in your own life, both of those have cataclysmic effect for today and for eternity. So just receive God's grace. Be glad in it, and be glad when other people are receiving God's grace in like manner. One pastor said it well, that grace is doing good for someone when there's no compelling reason to do so and every reason not to. And isn't that the way God works in our lives? 
has no reason to be gracious to us, but he's compelled to. You know why? Because it's his character. His character of love and mercy and grace that is extended. And you and I ought to live in the same way. Such amazing grace really transcends rationale and the doctrine of mankind. It goes beyond what we can explain. But we just are joyful when we find it. Joyful when it's given to us and we walk in its truth. So again, here's another summary point. The Lord rejects this notion, first come, first served, in His kingdom. It's not the way this works. In fact, he, he said it now a couple of times in this little f- section that we've been reading where he says the last will be first and the first is going to be last. I mean, the kingdom of God just kind of turns things upside down as we know them to be. So it's not first come, first serve basis. Now, if you have a living, uh, excuse me, a life application Bible, you'll note in the commentary there's three summary points that might go along with this idea of the kingdom of God being different than first come, first serve. And one is this that God is not impressed by our achievements. I mean, what do I have in achievement that God did not give me? You might say, well, God's God's really impressed by the way you're communicating His truth today. No, He's not. It's His truth. It's His word. It's His breath that He gave to my lungs that could be expelled over my larynx in order for me to have vocal cords that would vibrate in a way that you would hear His word. Listen, if He took that away, I would have nothing to say. But he gives. So God's not impressed with my achievement. God gives in all those ways. Here's some guys who go off to work, having negotiated the wage that they were willing to do it, and somewhere along the way, they thought the landowner would suddenly be impressed by their service. It's not the place. How about just coming to a Understanding in humility that, God, everything that I have to do is by you. And just be released from that idea of trying to impress God. How about just being relieved to the notion that Jesus Christ did it perfectly and he will give that to you as a gift and salvation and you can rest in his achievement. The second thing is this. God rejects our comparisons. So here's the guys that say, oh, when compared to the amount of work that we're doing compared to their doing, we ought to get more. God always rejects our comparisons because our comparisons are not done in the right spirit. Have you ever noticed that when you're comparing yourself against other people, it's always in your favor? I have. God, why don't I have what so-and-so has? Why is that church bigger than our church? Why do they have people that we don't have? Why don't we have the resources that they have? Or my job, I ought to have that job rather than this job. Or I want that office rather than this office. Or I want those grades rather than my grades. We're we're always in comparison. God, why do you bless them more than you bless us? But have you ever noticed how we don't turn that around and say, okay, God, you didn't give them as much as you gave me. Take some away from me and give it to them. Nobody ever prays that, do they? So God just rejects our comparisons because they're always on a faultiness, a self-centeredness. I'm good with that. How about let every comparison go away and just trust in the sufficiency of Christ that is given to us? And Lord, I'm going to do what you've given me to do. I'm going to do it in the faith that you have applied in my life, poured into me. 
and the skill and the ability that you have treasured in me, I'm going to do the very best that I can do and just trust in the sufficiency of Christ in which I do it. Man, is that ever relieving. There is always going to be better preachers than me. There will always be bigger churches than ours. There will always be churches that will have more resources than us. Why would I ever go to the place of comparing when I'm fully sufficient in Christ? And so are we. All right, third is this. God's resources are his. So here's these guys that really were rebuffing the idea that the landowner could be generous with his provision. Now, they weren't cheated. They were absolutely taken care of. They made the negotiated uh, place of the wage. It was their idea, not the master's. The master agreed to what they were requiring. And he made a promise to them, and he fulfilled the promise. So why in the world would they be disappointed that he was generous using his resources in ways that they couldn't understand? Well, listen, there's always going to be people around us that have more. And we ought to understand that God owns it all. Who he treasures it with is up to him. Let us be found faithful for what he has treasured in us. To whom much is given, much is required. I know all of us have been given much by Christ himself. Let him find us faithful. Here's an exercise. Be found faithful in whatever measure God has appropriated to you, and he will give you more to be found even more faithful in the end. Just trust him in that. So this idea of first come, first serve, that goes out the window. That is not the way the kingdom of God works. Failing to be joyful for all who receive God's grace is a failure of our hearts. Really, the hearts of these individuals were manifest as they began to really be discouraged and, and jealous and envious of others who were receiving grace. Instead of being, being joyful for their co-laborers, they're really filled with envy and bitterness. Ruth Walsh says it this way, Envy is the art of counting others' blessings instead of your own. That's what they were doing. At 6 a.m., they thought they were blessed men. They were the ones that were taken out of the marketplace and put to work. The guy agreed to whatever the negotiated salary was for the day. 6 a.m., they were all blessed. 6 p.m., they were all discouraged. How does that happen? How do we get that way? Well, the bitterness probably is given to us in insight where they are the only ones to negotiate their day's rate. Everybody else trusted in the generosity of the master. Did you see that? Whether they're coming at 9 o'clock or noon or 3 or 5, he says to all the others, I'll pay you what's fair. And they trusted him. They trusted him because they believed him to be a man of honor, a man of grace. The beginning ones, the 6 a.m. ones, they didn't have that. So that tells us from the beginning they're tweaked in their thinking from the start. I can tell you with all certainty you can trust in Jesus Christ. You can trust him as a man of honor, as a God of grace. You can trust him to not only take away your sins, you can trust him to give you his righteousness. You can trust him in his perfect wisdom, in his infinite scope. You can trust him that whatever measure he gives to you will accomplish glorious things. You can trust him. You don't have to negotiate. You can trust him. Well, the kingdom of God and the kingdom work and reward is vastly different from the kingdom of the world. 
there was a few hours in my study that I was really trying to figure this whole kingdom and work thing out, and it dawned on me, I believe by the Spirit, it dawned on me that I was trying to put the kingdom work in the same framing that I know worldly work, and that doesn't do very well. So I asked him, give me insight to this. How do I need to be thinking differently about work in the kingdom? Because all I know in tangible way is work in this world. So help me to understand kingdom work. And I came up with some differences that I've jotted down. They're on the back page of your notes today. One is this. The world motivates work by reward. In God's kingdom, the reward is the work. So we know and experience our gracious Lord as we work in His kingdom. So in your workplace, uh, your employer says, if you'll do this, I'll give you that. Typically, that's a salary or hourly wage, or it might be a trip to somewhere, or it might be a car that you get to drive, whatever. There's always a reward. So the motivation is towards, uh, for work is about the reward in the kingdom of God to do the significant work with God himself is the reward. And it doesn't mean that God is not going to reward us. He will, and his reward will be for eternity, and it will be significant. But really, you and I need to be recognizing now, engaging in the ministry of the kingdom of God is the great reward for us. That life is not figuring out how do we make this significant? How do we make this lasting we just engage in the work of the kingdom of God, and it is significant, and it is lasting. It's purposeful and meaningful. You'll never have to worry about, as your days are growing long towards the end of your life, you'll never have to look back and say, did I do something significant in my life? But I know a lot of people who have. They've really wrangled over that. Is this all there was to it? But listen, for those who engage in the kingdom of God, working in the kingdom, their life is significant. They look back and see the eternal things that God has allowed them to be part of and the beauty of doing that with Him. The world pushes for achievement. God's kingdom promotes significance. So have you ever noticed that your workplace, they want you to achieve, but you've got to achieve tomorrow in the same way? It's like they're not going to keep on rewarding you for yesterday's achievement. They're going to only reward you for today's. It, it constantly keeps moving too, doesn't it? If you're a salesman and you meet your sales quota, you know what they're going to do next year? They're going to up your quota, right? It's just the way of the world. God's kingdom is radically different. God's kingdom is not pushing for your achievement. God's kingdom is promoting significance, and the significance is to the call, what God has called you to do. How do you know what God's called you to do? I tell you, the first way you can know is how has he created you to be? What gifts, talents, abilities, skills has he given to you? How is the Spirit manifesting himself? The call is going to link up with that. It, it isn't meant to be mysterious. What you enjoy doing and what you're good at, that's what you apply in the kingdom of God, and you do it in a way that's significant by, with the power of the Spirit of God. The world tilts favored work towards the rich. So if you're rich, you have resources, the world tilts work the better work in your direction, the kingdom of God is wildly different from that. The kingdom of God could care less if you're rich. The kingdom of God says it tilts greater work to those who are poor in spirit. How radically different is that? In our culture, the menial tasks, the ones that are more laborious, more effort are to those who are poor financially. In the kingdom of God, you have a 
poor in spirit attitude and otherwise you recognize if only God would empower me could I accomplish he will give you great great work to do moving forward a little bit the world's formula for work is more work more pay less work less pay in God's kingdom grace trumps fair that's where these guys got off the tracks where they're thinking oh more work more hours more pay but in God's kingdom, grace trumps out over fairness. The world focuses on workers' accomplishment or lack thereof. And in God's kingdom, workers rest on the accomplishment of Jesus and focus on the grace that he gives toward them. How beautiful is that last statement? In religion, it's all about the accomplishment. In a relationship with God, it's all about the accomplishment of Christ that is graciously treasured to you. I'm just telling you there is life to be lived with joy when you and I discover that truth and walk in it. So I'd say set your heart and your desire and efforts in line with that of God's grace and his call in your life. So God is not saying, well, you just let me do it all and I'll do it through you. No, your desires are important and your efforts are important as well. They just need to line up with the grace and the call that God has extended to you. And when you line those up well, man, does your work ever flourish in the kingdom of God. So the owner recognizes this. He goes back at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock, and he's constantly getting more workers. He says to them, why are you idle? Now, that doesn't mean they're lazy. It doesn't mean that they're not looking for work. They're in the marketplace, and the marketplace in the day of Jesus was like the home improvement store in Birmingham. They're there for the hope that somebody is going to come by and hire them. They're ready to work. They're eager to work. In fact, when the landowner offers them the job, they jump to it, don't they? No matter if they say, well, it's only going to be an hour of work. I won't make much money. They still jump to it. These are not lazy people. So in this way, we recognize what God is doing in our life is he's calling us. He's calling us to himself. He, he's calling out for salvation. He's calling out with a significant work. You might be in the marketplace, but be in the marketplace for the purpose of hearing God's call. You might be idle, but let it be idle for the purpose of hearing God's call, eager to jump at the moment he gives you the opportunity. Listen, there's not a single person here today that ought to be discounting God's work in you. You ought not think that my days are gone. Listen, they're in the 11th hour, and God is still calling them to work. You might be in your most senior years, and you might think, well, it's for the young ones now. My time is done. No, it's not. It's the 11th hour. You've got the greatest season of opportunity because of the experience and the wisdom that God has granted to you throughout, the, throughout these years. And I'm just telling you as a brother in Christ and as the pastor of this church, man, do we ever need you to engage. Hear the call of the Savior. For you who are not yet saved, hear him say, come to me, I'm offering to you grace. Hear the call of the Savior. Those of you who have come to him in grace, he's extending more grace for significant work in your 11th hour. In every hour, he's extending a call to engage his kingdom. You might be discounting by hearing the words of the enemy saying, uh, you forfeited God's call in your life. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You say, well, you don't know what I've done, Randy. All I know is what Jesus Christ can wash away. 
There's no sin too great that God can't handle. You think God can't handle your sin? Sure he can. He did for Jeffrey Dahmer. He did for the son of Sam. You think God can't do yours? Don't question him like that. His grace is overwhelming. His mercy is powerful. And his life is given to every person in equal measure. Come to him. Don't discount his work in your life. God is calling out to you and me to be saved. He's calling out to you and me to have great significant work in his kingdom. I want to help you with that. A whole staff wants to help you engage in service to the kingdom of God. Today begins Serve Week for us. I was looking online this morning, mbchurch.com. I just went to the Serve Week icon off mbchurch.com, and this is the screen that popped up. Now I know you're thinking, I can't read that. That's all right, I can't either. But that's just a screenshot. And I put it in here to remind me, to remind you, take the next step. And the next step today is to go to mbchurch.com and go to the Serve Week icon. Hit it, and this is what you'll see. At the very top of the page, you'll see register here. The next step for you is to click that and begin to answer the questions that will pop up. Now, some of you are doing that as life groups. We're encouraged by that. Some of you are gathering family and friends and doing it together. We're encouraged by that. Kay and I did it last time just the two of us, joining in with some other people. Some of you might go alone. I guarantee when you leave that place of service, you'll have some new friends. But take the next step and do it. Now, a lot of churches do serve weeks now, and I think that they're helpful. But ours is not a serve week where we make impact in the community in a one-and-done way. Ours to, is to engage in ministries that we are engaged in and sacrificially contribute towards throughout the year. Help us to help you engage in those. So you may get to a place and you say, well, this is not the place that I can best exercise the gifts that God has given to me. That's okay. Don't go back. We'll help you find another place. But the thing is, the next step has to be done today. You need to register. Well, I'm not very techie. Well, your life is lived a whole lot less complicated than the rest of us who are. You can go to the end of the hallway and we'll have some techie people there who will actually register with you. And help you to get signed up. And if you haven't already gotten a t-shirt, we'll have them available for you as you register. Just pick one up. I encourage you to do that. Just serve. Just live out the measure of God's grace. And the parable is really not about the times that somebody might start serving. The parable, to me, is really about accepting the opportunity when the offer is given. No matter when it's given, at 6 a.m., 9, noon, 3, 5, it doesn't matter. Just accept the opportunity. And I'm offering the opportunity today. And so our response ought to be, I accept. And you begin to see your workplace as a kingdom place. And your neighborhood as a kingdom place. Soon, school will be back in session. And you'll see the school as the kingdom place of God in which you're going to work side by side with Jesus. What's the work that he's doing? I tell you, number one, he's redeeming people. He's calling out to the gospel, the good news, helping them to discover that God is a just God and everybody's going to have to pay for every sin ever done against him, but that Christ has made it so that God is completely satisfied in the justice that Christ provides in our stead. You can join him in that. You can join him by expressing the measure of God's goodness 
to other people by serving them, loving them. You can do that at work, school, your neighborhood, or right here at this church. I encourage you to do it. Take the next step and step into this place of kingdom work. Don't have to worry about negotiating for achievement, reward. Fully satisfied that Christ is a gracious Lord and he'll provide for you. Let's pray together. In this moment, Lord, we thank you for the call of grace. We thank you for your work accomplished in providing for our salvation. And we thank you for the significance of engaging and working and ministering in your kingdom. It's all an overflow of who you are to us, directed specifically to us. And we thank you, Lord. We come to you as children, trusting you, having nothing to offer but our sin to you, and receiving everything from you to accomplish according to your glory. And we pray that as we do so, our heart would be in line with yours, would be grace-filled, joy-filled, not just for ourselves but others. And may that demonstrate well the kingdom of God.